Welcome to the Messiah Podcast. We are so glad you tuned in today. Whether you are driving, doing chores, or taking a walk, we hope the Lord quiets your head and your heart to hear truth and be challenged through His Word. Without further ado, let's dive into the message. Good morning. If we haven't met yet, my name is Matt Lidekanen. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 5, uh, either on your phone or in your pew rack Bible. Uh, we'll be kind of looking at that. And you can also follow along on the screens. We'll be jumping around in Scripture, as is my custom. So um, feel free to use those screens as well. Um, and if you are newer here and maybe looking for a home church or just somewhere to uh, get to know God, uh, we have a couple ways you could just plug in and learn more information. You can fill out the blue card that may be in your pew rack, or you can scan the QR code on the screen or in the, on the pew back, uh, and you can fill out the blue card digitally that way. So with that said, question for the day. What does it mean to be holy? I think depending on our background, holiness could have some negative connotations. So holiness could bring to mind uh, rigor, religiosity, maybe even hypocrisy. And it's quite possible that the word holy seems like something that is only ever applied to God and very rarely, if ever, applied to human beings. Maybe for human beings like Mother Teresa or the original Twelve Apostles, but certainly not just something we throw around. I haven't been described as holy, for instance. You know, I'm a little upset about that. But, you know, it is what it is. But in Leviticus, despite our maybe approach or our mindset regarding holiness, what that means, it's very clearly something that God wants his people to be. God wants us to be holy. It says in Leviticus uh, 11 verse 45, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. And before we think, well, you know, that's the Old Testament. Jesus says in his famous Sermon on the Mount, similar words, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Verse 48, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect, and isn't it what that religion is for, right? I, as my secular friend once put it, religion consists of two things. It consists of the carrot and the stick. The carrot is heaven, eternal life, paradise with God, and then the stick is commands about moral behavior, and you better shape up or else something bad is going to happen, right? And so the message people are used to from hearing uh, uh, from most religions is that kind of message. Be a good person, you'll go to heaven. And many people outside the church believe that's exactly what Christianity is all about. Be a good person. It's a moral kind of propaganda to shape, shift and change. It's a stick to encourage with and encourages with the, the idea of heaven with the, with the carrot. And of course, ironically though, that's many people who are inside the church. That's what, that's what we think a lot of times. Maybe you find yourself thinking that right now. I thought, isn't that what this is? <laughs> because it makes sense. I mean, it's very intuitive. This, this way of approaching religion. It's 
way of approaching the idea of the afterlife and eternity. It's that we do good things in order to go to the good place. Doesn't that make sense? It's very intuitive. It's very natural. But that's not the gospel of Jesus. And I hope you can't come here very long without hearing that. Because the gospel of Jesus that Paul preached or wrote about in his letters, the very gospel that we're talking about today, is very much not religion. So Paul, as he would preach this gospel and he would go from town to town, as we have been on a long journey listening to all the Acts of the Apostles, particularly the Acts of Paul, and he would start a, tr- start a church and then the rest of the New Testament, we have letters to those churches because what would happen is some people would come in and muck things up. Or people that had been preached to would muck things up. And it was this, this kind of situation where there were, there were some folks there who they liked the gospel well enough. They liked the idea of cross and the resurrection and, and forgiveness and everything. But they just felt, you know what, it just lacked a little too, it was too little that old-time religion. And they were missing that component. And they really would like to bring that back in. And that's what Paul is after in Galatians. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, he writes this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So what slavery is he talking about? Already I've made that distinction that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not religion, not old-time religion. It's not good behavior to get to the good place. That's not the gospel. The old-time religion that, Jesus, that Paul's talking about is this way of obedience to the law the obedience to the law of Moses. And there had been some very persuasive people who had come into the church at Galatia and they were saying that adherence to the law of Moses was not optional. In fact, it was mandatory. In order to be a proper Christian, you had to be following all the laws of Moses to basically be Jewish. And these are Gentile believers. They've never been Jewish and they will never really be Jewish, but they're saying you really need to become Jewish in order to be a Christian. And this was a group of people that were known as the Judaizers. So they were comfortable with the, the, the idea of the gospel to a point, but this whole saved by grace, not by works thing was a little concerning to them. And they were concerned that Paul's trying to play too fast and too loose with these formerly pagan believers. That they wouldn't know how to be a proper, well-behaved, holy person if they didn't have this law put upon them. But Paul urges the Galatians to reject this. Why? Well, Paul makes his case against the law by quoting the law itself. He takes a line from Deuteronomy in Galatians chapter 3. Paul says this, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. So what is he saying? Or rather, what does the law of Moses say itself? It's saying that if you want to live by the law of God, you want to live by it, do it perfect. Because otherwise, you're going to be cursed. 
It's do or die with the law of Moses. It's, you'll, oh, you're always going to miss the mark. Always will. You'll either fall, and you'll all, always fall short of the glory of God. In short, what will happen is this. You'll either never feel like you're enough, which in another way of saying, putting it is despair, or you'll delude yourself into thinking you are enough because you're a super holy person, and that will be called pride. And that is the spiritual danger of legalism. And if you've been here, you've probably heard me talk about legalism and dropped this term before. Legalism says, if I obey all the rules, then I will be accepted and blessed by God. It's a very simple conditional statement, isn't it? If, then. If I obey, then I'm, obey, then I'm accepted. And legalism isn't strictly limited to religion either. Everyone is in a self-salvation project. Everyone is trying to justify themselves and feel like they're enough and feel like they're okay in the world. And some people, uh, you can pick, pick, pick your own adventure with this kind of thing. Some people will choose health and beauty. You can diet and count calories. You can exercise eight days a week. You catch that? There you go. <laughs> you can even find your own health guru on Instagram and TikTok, and they will talk about the benefits of drinking nothing but celery juice. And they will say, oh my goodness, it will just transform the way you look and feel. But even here, the language of morality cannot help be used. You ever notice that? Miss a day of exercise or sneak a Hershey's kiss? Feel what? Guilty. Fat is bad. Skinny is good. Elevated to moral stipulations. When we're successful, you lose weight, build some muscle, you're good enough. Well done. Until one day you step on the scale, where'd that number go? And then again, we've fallen short of the glory of the God of weight loss. Or consider politics, which is, uh, if you think about it, basically secular religion. All the rules in place for human human flourishing codified under one party's definition of such. And all we need to do is get in power and then things will be great again. It'll be a be change you can believe in. And salvation in this framework is power. And ultimate evil, the loss of that power. And therefore, if there's any weakness in the ranks, if anyone questions the party line, it registers not just as a difference of opinion, see, but as an existential threat. So what happens? And you see it happening on the Twitter. People get canceled and ostracized and penalized in all sorts of creatively cruel ways because they've threatened the power of the group. Because power in accomplishing agendas is a source of meaning and enoughness. That's why these sorts of brutal things happen to people. So that's legalism outside the church. But then, of course, there's legalism inside of it. Paul says in Galatians 5, verse 15, if you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you'll be destroyed by each other. That's what legalism does. Legalism pits each other, pits us against each other. And we evaluate the works of each other, whether you're good enough, or you're good enough, or am I better than you, then I'm going to look down my nose at you and you're going to feel 
bad or they, you'll feel better than me and you'll look down your nose at me and there's a, that biting and devouring happening. And I love uh, how Sally Lloyd-Jones in the Jesus Storybook Bible uh, that I read to my daughter all the time, she, she retells a story of the disciples doing, doing this. She writes, Jesus' friends were arguing. Who is the most important helper in God's kingdom? They wanted to know. I am, James said. No, you're not, said Peter. I am. Nonsense, Matthew said. I'm the cleverest. No, you're not. Yes, I am. Yes, no, am too. This silliness went on for quite some time like that. You see, Jesus' friends had started thinking they had to do something to make themselves special to Jesus. That if they were the cleverest or the nicest or something, Jesus would like them best. Again, legalism's promise is that if we obey, then we're accepted. Then we're enough. Then we're justified before God. But its reality, as St. Paul points out, is it's a curse. There's biting and devouring that happens. We'll either be full of pride, look down our nose at everybody else who's not good as good as we are. We'll look at those particular sins that stand out and stick out and we'll pick on those people and shake our heads at them. Or we will be filled with despair because we never seem to be able to measure up no matter how hard we try. And when you're in a legalistic church, everyone's held to an incredibly high standard. And this church is one that takes the view that the church is a museum for saints. It's not a hospital for sinners. It's a place you can walk in and ooh and ah at all these holy people. You need to believe in the right things. You've got to do the right things. And you have to think the right things. And if there's any whisper or rumor to the contrary, they'll come for you. However, that's not to say that the, these morally upright people in said churches are without sin. To the contrary, that's probably the, the place if you turn over that rock, you'll find something. Jesus says this to the Pharisees. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. You better believe that when you turn over those rocks, all sorts of stuff's going to come out. So then if that is indeed the case, that God wants to be holy, God wants us to be holy, and if it is also the case that legalism, far from being the solution, is, seems to make things quite a bit worse, so what do we do? Here's what Paul says. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. You're not under the law. 
Now, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. How about that list? Lots of them like that in the New Testament. Once again, Paul's point is proved. There's a number of things in that list that you could say, like, you know what, I think I'm safe from that. There's also probably a few things that we could, uh, most of us could say we've uh, participated in. Again, probably not witchcraft, probably not orgies, but drunkenness. When is the last time you've had too many? Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. Is there anybody in your life who's hurt you and done you wrong that you don't just dislike them, but you hate them? Selfish ambition, envy, don't we find things that we, we see in other in the lives of people, their gifts, their talents, the things that they possess? We don't just look at them and appreciate them from a distance, but we, we find ourselves lusting after them and desiring them to be our own, and we find reasons why they don't deserve those things, and why isn't it that they have those things and I don't have those things? And you start making self-justifications, and you kind of do this little spiral in your head. And like Paul says, it's do or die. And if we're going to be real candid right now, what is it? It's die, isn't it? There's a lot in that list that we are not 100% on. Far from it. And he says those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But what does it say first? So I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. It says that the spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh. So what does the spirit desire? Jesus says in John 16, verse 14, The spirit will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. The spirit, it says, desires to glorify Jesus. He desires to make much of Jesus in our hearts and our imaginations. And from Jesus, he will receive the truth. What is that truth? The truth is that we are God's very own children. And the Spirit wants more than anything to make that idea, that concept, this idea of justification through faith and grace alone, that he wants to make that real and experiential to us. So Paul in Galatians chapter 3 says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. The Spirit wants to point us and lead us straight into Christ's perfect love. He wants to show us his perfection and his goodness and his mercy and his kindness and gentleness. The Spirit wants to show us his love and his compassion, his joy and peace. He wants to show us his faithfulness and his loyalty to the ones who are sons and daughters of his Father. He wants to take our lives deeper, the Spirit. He wants to take our lives deeper into Jesus' own life so that we can become all that Jesus is. 
And he wants to overcome that our fleshly desires and those, those, the, the, the fruits of the flesh, those things that are obvious that, says, that Paul says. He wants to replace them with truth and goodness. And it's not that these desires of ours are too strong. We can think that, right? We can think oh, our temptations is just too great and I, I could possibly never overcome these things. But it says that we have been lo- re- relocated. We have been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and put into the kingdom of his marvelous light. That means that sort of like when, when, when there's a war and there's a, a kingdom that has taken on uh, help from an external power, there may be a, a, a warring faction in that country and that country could be taken over and then they could establish a government, but guess what? If that, is that warfare is still happening, it's, just, it's happening, but it's now guerrilla warfare, right? That's what's happening in our lives. We're saints conquered by the king, brought into his kingdom, but there's still guerrilla warfare. Our flesh still wars and fights. But the king is greater than that. The spirit is greater than that. And it's not that these desires are too strong, but rather that we have not fixed our eyes on all that Jesus is. C.S. Lewis said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a vacation at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. The Spirit wants to lead us into infinite joy, into infinite love and peace that is available to us only through Jesus. And that is therefore how we achieve holiness. It's not by making much of ourselves and inflating ourselves and filling ourselves with pride and with ego. That's not how we do that. We don't follow the rules of old-time religion, but we are baptized into Jesus. That's how holiness is achieved. We are immersed into his life, and this, of course, happens once at the beginning of our faith journey. But it's a picture of who we are to be, that Paul says that if we are baptized into Christ, we have put on Christ. It's him we're caught up with. It's his holiness that we're walking around in. It's his love that is poured into our lives and then overflows into the lives of the people around us. It's his goodness, his gentleness, his self-control that's poured into us. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the love that God has for us. Holiness begins and ends with Jesus. When we fix our eyes on his cross and his resurrection and everything that's been done for us, we are free from religion because we have been won into a love relationship with the Lord God of the universe. Paul says those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The old has gone and the new has come. We're invited to follow those footsteps all the way into eternity. Because the Gospel says you have been accepted, therefore I will obey. You have been loved, therefore I will love. God has been good to me, therefore I will be good to others. It all starts with Jesus.
fix your eyes on Jesus. Crucify the desires of the flesh and walk by the Spirit. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we give you thanks for the Spirit that's been poured into our lives. And we do see those struggles, and we see the, the things that, uh, the guerrilla warfare that exists uh, in our own hearts, that Paul says in Romans chapter 7, that I, don't, I do not do the things that I want to do, but the things I don't want to do, those are the things I do. And we experience that, we feel that too, Lord. But it says here, what the Spirit desires is that we experience the love of God. Holy Spirit, would you come and give us that experience of the love of God today? Help us to experience love, be so loved, and that we can turn around and love others and surrender our entire lives to you. Out of security, out of hope, out of infinite joy, would you help us do that today? We ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. We hope you are challenged and encouraged to walk in truth in your everyday. Please share with friends and family, and we can't wait to have you next time on the Messiah Podcast.